for those of you who, who don't know me, um, I'm Mike Benson. I'm the onboard evangelist here, and I'm also the team captain of the Conquerors International Strength Team. It's a group of athletes who use feats of strength to get people's attention so we can tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We actually, we get to break things for a living, and we don't get in trouble for it. It's pretty cool. So you can imagine when we have, we had our seventh annual Conquerors Fourth of July picnic, and we pulled out all the stops this time, and we got a lot of ordnance. <laughs> and uh, yeah, our neighborhood was, was loving it. We, we just moved into a, uh, a neighborhood, uh, this is our first Fourth of July in it, and we made our presence known <laughs> and felt. <laughs> um, I wrote a book, it's called Mike Benson, More Than a Conqueror. Some of you may be familiar with my story. I say it's my history, but it's his story. I spent 11 years of my life in prison, was addicted to drugs, was in the criminal lifestyle, and uh, I got my first major felony at the age of 16 when I got a bank robbery or illegal withdrawal from a financial institution. <laughs> I'm gonna put a white collar bend to it. And so I wrote this book, and it's basically my story. And it is designed to lead people to Christ, to lead people into an experience with the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it's in, designed to encourage believers. So these will be out back. If you'd like to pick one up, I'll sign them afterward. I'd like to meet you, shake your hand, and uh, say hi to you. I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm having a good year. 2017 has been one of the best years of my life. It's my harvest year. And, uh, but how many of you have ever had one of those years you'd rather forget? Yeah. One of those years that you just wipe off the calendar. And maybe, maybe some of you are in the midst of a year like that right now. If you are, let me encourage you with this. This too shall pass. Whatever you're in the middle of right now, God is in the middle with you. And God is known by many names, but my favorite name is that of Redeemer. He will redeem anything you place in his hands. You give it to him, he'll give it back to you in a lot better shape. So let me encourage you that. But for me, the worst year of my life, worse than all the years in prison, worse than the drugs, all that stuff, all the violence, was 2013, which I affectionately call the year from hell. It started off in January when I came home one night. I went and sat down next to my wife. She looked at me, she said, Mike, you look really tired. You need to, I think you need to go lay down. So I headed downstairs for where our bedroom was and I got and grabbed the, the rail and I fell down. And I was trying to get up and Stephanie came over there and she's like, Mike, what's wrong? I said, I'm okay, I'm okay. And the look she gave me, she was kind of startled and she said, really, what, what, what's going on, what's happening? I said, I'm all right, I'm all right. And she kind of went back like that. So it occurred to me that what I was saying wasn't getting through, so I just zipped it. And I'll never forget her standing over me with the cell phone in her hand saying, Mike, you better not be joking around. I'm calling the ambulance. 
People who know me know that I tend to pull pranks, some somewhat or rather elaborate pranks. Um, but I wasn't joking around. I was having a stroke at the age of 40. So then the ambulance came, they picked me up, they put me in the ambulance, they took me to St. Mary's. I got in an emergency, they wheeled me right into a CAT scan, they did every kind of test on me known to man. They were trying to find out if I had a clot or what was going on. And the next day, I remember I was in my hospital room and I had all these wires hooked up to me and there are four doctors, neuroscientists, standing in the corner of my room and they're having their doctorly discussion. And you know, once in a while they'd peer over at me and I, I'm, the, I'm the type, I'm like, hey guys, you gotta let me in. You guys are talking about me. I know you're talking about me. <laughs> Y'all gotta let me in. And so they said, yeah. They said, you see this scan? I said, yeah. They said, this part, this white area, this is the most significant area of damage on your brain and it is in the center of your brain which is your speech center. And we can't figure it out because as much damage as there is, you shouldn't be uttering sounds right now let alone speaking. And then you see this area? It's not as significant as the other but it's quite a bit and it's on your prefrontal cortex, the front of the brain, which regulates your strength and your decision making. So, I got attacked in the areas I use most in ministry, my mouth and my muscles. And I said, with all due respect, because I do have a tremendous amount of respect for the medical community, I said, I get my opinions from the great physician. He's got a plan for my life. He's got a purpose for my life. There's no stroke, no devil in hell that's gonna stop it. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. And so five days later, I left the hospital. And they put on my file, they literally put on my medical file, unknown phenomena. Yeah, it's unknown to them, but it was known to me. Jesus was in the house, amen? So I was all good, I thought I was good to go, ready to get back in the saddle, but I was not prepared for something called post-stroke depression. You see, my personality is uber positive. I mean, I am a positive guy. It drives my wife nuts. There's not a pessimistic bone in my body. I mean, if a tornado blew the roof off of our house, I'd be like, cool, we got a convertible crib. <laughs> but this depression took me down a dark hole and I almost lost everything. Almost lost my marriage, almost lost my ministry. If it weren't for some key friends, members of my board, and this church and the leadership here at this church, I wouldn't be here today. And the Lord began to take me through a pruning process. A pruning process to develop some things in me and to remove some things in me. And that's what I wanna to speak to you about this morning is the pruning process. In John 15, two, in the Amplified Bible, it says, any branch in me that does not bear fruit, that stops bearing, he cuts away, trims off, takes away, and he cleanses and repeatedly prunes every branch that continues to bear fruit to make it bear more and richer and more excellent fruit. Pruning means improvement. 
And so when I was studying for this message, I studied pruners and how they approach a tree or a plant that they're about to prune. And I studied the apple pruners because we have abundance of apple trees in West Michigan. And so I found out that when a pruner looks at a tree, he's looking for two things. He's looking for the shape of the tree and the thickness of the tree. He wants to make sure that all the branches are pointing up toward the sun, and he wants to make sure that it's thinned out enough so that the wind can easily move through the tree because the wind keeps diseases from settling on the tree. And that's exactly how the Father God wants our lives. He wants all the branches of our lives to be pointing up toward the sun, Jesus Christ, and he wants our hearts free from clutter so that the Holy Spirit can move freely through us. He wants us to be lighthearted. And so when a pruner is looking at a tree, he's got a couple areas that he needs to deal with. But in John 15, 4, it says, dwell in me and I will dwell in you, live in me and I will live in you, just as no branch can bear fruit of itself without abiding in, being vitally united to the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. When we have an area of our life that seems to be dead or an area that's not bearing much fruit, nine times out of 10, it's an area that we're not giving to the Lord and living through the Lord in a vital relationship with him. And so when a pruner's looking at a tree, the first thing he has to take care of are dead branches. These are branches that are obvious to the eye. He can see them from a mile away. And they are dead branches because they're diseased and they gotta go. The areas of our life that are pretty obvious are the sinful areas of our life that they have to go. You see, God does not hate sin because we do it. God hates sin because of what it does to us. If my, one of my kids come home and they got a pack of cigarettes in their shirt and, and I find out they're smoking, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna be ve vehemently opposed to the cigarettes. Not because they're smoking, but because of what the smoking is doing to them. And so God wants to get the sin out of our life because sin is a disease, and like all diseases, it spreads. So he has to cut it off. And the instrument that a pruner uses has to be sharp. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word that God speaks is alive and full of power, making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating to the dividing line of breath and of life for the soul and the immortal spirit and of joints and marrow of the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and sifting and analyzing and judging the very thoughts and purposes of the heart. God, when he brings a lesson or a teaching or correction or anything into our lives, he uses two main routes. That's the word of God and the spirit of God. God will never use a calamity, a disease, or anything to teach you a lesson. 
I've heard that lie perpetrated so many times within the body of Christ. Oh, the Lord's trying to teach you something. God does not use anything that steals, kills, or destroys to teach his kids anything. He uses his word and the Holy Spirit. That's what he uses. I mean, it's kind of stupid actually to think that way because that's actually saying that we are better parents than God. Me as a father, I love my children. Now let's say for, for illustration purposes, I tell my kids, you can play in the yard, go ahead, play in the yard, but I give them a boundary, a command. I say, but do not go into the street. That's a do not. That's a boundary, a command. It's there, it's set in place. Now, the reason I'm giving them the command is because I'm trying to keep them safe from the traffic and other things that are in the road. But in their thinking, their thinking is very much underdeveloped compared to my thinking. They're probably looking out there and saying, man, dad's trying to steal our fun. Now, we're going to go out in the street, and they violate my command. Now, and I see it, there's going to be discipline. We spare not the rod at the Benson household. Mm-mm. But what would I look like if I wanted to teach my kids a lesson, and I called my neighbor, and I said, hey, George, I'm trying to teach my kids a lesson. Will you come run them over with your car? I would be reviled, I would be, I would be the scourge of the community, they'd put me in jail, I'd be all, and rightly so. But yet, sometimes we fall into this lie that God is using these things to teach us a lesson. Now, we learn things from things we go through. I learned a lot through going through my stroke. But God didn't use that stroke to teach me anything. The stroke came straight from the enemy. And then after he's done dealing with the dead, sinful branches, there's another branch that, it's not, it's not a sinful thing. It's not dead, it's a branch. It has fruit on it, but it's growing straight outward. And what it does is it blocks the sun from reaching the low-hanging fruit. And so sometimes he doesn't want to remove that branch totally, but he has to cut it back. If we look in Luke 10, 38 through 42, a very familiar passage of scripture, it says, now while they were on their way, it occurred that Jesus entered a certain village and a woman named Martha received and welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister named Mary who seated herself at the Lord's feet and was listening to his teaching. But Martha, overly occupied and too busy, was distracted with much serving and she came up to him and said, Lord, is it nothing to you that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me, to lend a hand and to do her part along with me. But the Lord replied to her by saying, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. There is need of only one or but a few things. Mary has chosen the good portion, that which is to her advantage, which shall not be taken away from her. It's kind of a very good descriptive of the culture that we live in here in America. Overly occupied and too busy. God has given us all things to enjoy. All things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. 
So there's certain things in our life that, that they, they, they suffocate us. They take our time away from our Father God. In Luke 8, 14, it says, And as for what fell among the thorns, these are the people who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked and suffocated with anxieties and cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not ripen, come to maturity and perfection. Your priorities determine their importance. And these things, if, if, if your priority, your time is a reflection of your worship, reflection of your worship, actually. If we say we love God and we worship God, our time should reflect that. How much time do we spend with the Lord? How much time do we spend in his word? Not as a, not as a task that we have to do, but as a joy, as a privilege. You know, I'm not a sports guy. Not even close. And, and it irritates me sometimes when guys come up to me, especially guys, they see my size, they're like, hey man, did you see the big game last night? <laughs> no, did you see the revival on TBN last night? <laughs> they look at me like a dog in a new pan. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with sports. They're good. There's a lot of positive things into it, but I'm not a sports fan. Like football. I don't get it. A bunch of grown men throwing a bag of air around, seeing who can get over to the other side. It's like the grown-up version of Red Rover. Red Rover, send Dallas right over. <laughs> they spend millions and millions of dollars on it, on the paraphernalia. People are crazy. They're 30 below zero, no shirt on, funny hair, painted everywhere, screaming at the top of their lungs. That's a fan. That's a fanatic. If you like football, that's great. If you're a football fan, that's great. The Lord doesn't want to take it away from you. But if it is more time-consuming than your time with him, he wants you to trim it back a little something. It's time to start becoming Jesus fans. Or, or how about NASCAR? I don't get that. Hey, he's on lap 225. Hey, he switched position. I don't get it. I, I think our culture is so enamored with that sport because it's a reflection of society at large. Everybody's going around in circles as fast as they can and they ain't getting anywhere. And they like the crashes. They like the crashes. Well, there's nothing wrong with NASCAR. I mean, there are people, believers, who use their platform to witness Jesus Christ. And I'm all for that. I'm all about it. There's nothing evil or inherent about NASCAR. But there is something evil about this sport. This sport is of the devil. Golf. I'm sorry, I know I'm stepping on a lot of toes. It's all good, I'm a big boy, I can handle it. But I don't get that sport at all. How can you watch that stuff? Oh yes, mechanizing, he's, he's, he's putting for a party, yeah, oh, he made it. 
So he hit a little ball into a hole. You know, our, our, uh, our ministry partners, One Hope, they, they're the ones who produce the Book of Hope and, and the Godman videos and all this stuff. We, we go down there in South Florida, usually in the wintertime. <laughs> we have a strategic plan, our meetings strategically. And they like to have their meetings on the links. And uh, I humored myself one time, and I said, all right, I'll play around with you guys. And I found out that I do not need a caddy to follow me. I need a greenskeeper to follow me. Because when I hit that ball, I take half the earth with it. <laughs> and I can hit that ball and I can make it go far. I just can't get it to go where I want it to. And I discovered something else. People who build multi-million dollar mansions on golf courses are people of faith. <laughs> they got faith that the person on that course knows what they're doing. And is not going to shag one through their window. <laughs> But sports are good. There's nothing wrong with them. So don't be, don't be like, oh, he's against sports. I'm not saying that. Enjoy them. If that's what you enjoy, enjoy it. But enjoy your relationship with the Father God through the Holy Spirit. Make that your number one goal. Make that your number one gain. Amen? Amen. Um, and then the, the last branches are, are probably... They're the hardest to spot. You can't see them with the naked eye. You got to be a trained pruner to see them. And these are, they're, they're at the bottom of the tree at the trunk. And they're sometimes referred to as sucker branches. And they either grow out a little bit and they're really, they don't produce anything. No leaves, no fruit. But then there's some that are, they're, they're knots. They show up as knots on the trunk of the tree and they're growing into the tree, cutting off vital nutrients to the rest of the tree. And this would represent our negative internal thinking. You know those tapes that are playing over and over in our mind when we're ruminating on why we can't do X, why we'll never be able to be Z, why I'm never going to make it, or dwelling on your past. All these things, or I can't be like so-and-so or so-and-so, I wish I could be like them all this negative stuff. Well, when we're thinking on this negative stuff, the enemy, he doesn't have to mess with us because we're doing ourselves in. He just sits back and laughs and says, yeah, keep on going with that. You're good to go. Proverbs 4.23, be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. Thoughts become things. Every current result that you experience in your life that you are not satisfied with or that is negative, I guarantee you, you can trace its roots back to your thinking because that's the way we were designed. Negative self-talk. The average human speaks at 150 to 200 words per minute. That's pretty, that's a, pretty impressive. I think the ladies speak a little bit higher. <laughs> Maybe the men a little less. <laughs> Taking risks when I say that. The mind can listen to 500 to 600 words per minute. So there's a lesson in that, that it's, it's better to listen than talk. But our conversation with ourselves is at 1,300 words per minute. 1,300. And people say, well, how is that? 
we may use words to communicate, but what we communicate with word are pictures or images. Let me give you a little illustration. Everybody in here, close your eyes. And I want you to think about the first thing that pops in your mind when I say these words. Dog. Big dog. Big black dog. Little ankle-biting barking cat. Okay, you can open your eyes. Now, when I said dog, you didn't see the the letters D-O-G across the screen of your mind. You pictured a dog. If you're a dog lover, you saw Fifi or Fido or Max or whoever. And if you're not such a dog lover, maybe you saw one on the side of the road. (laughs) But my point is you saw a dog. But when I said big dog, I narrowed the images that you were seeing. You saw a big dog, one of the big breeds. And I said big black dog, I narrowed it even more. You see, we, we communicate with each other in pictures, images. We were created in the image of the Father God. His word creates an image in our heart, an impression on our heart. And from our heart, come these thoughts that illuminate our mind. And when we are meditating on his word, then we have his results in life. I hear people all the time, I'm waiting for the the word to to make that 18-foot drop. God doesn't speak to you in your mind, he speaks to you in your spirit. And sometimes if we can quiet our minds down and get to a place where we're quiet before him, we can hear what he's saying in our hearts. And he'll tell you things that will blow you away. If we'll just take the time to slow down for a minute and listen to him. Get quiet before him. That's hard for me. A person like me, if you're like me, if you're a type A person, a driver, a goer, a D on the, this thing, and you're going, that is a difficult thing for me to do. It's a sacrifice. But when I do do it, when I, when I, when I, when I block out my calendar and I go spend a day in the woods, I get so much revelation for him. I could live off of a year off of the revelation I get. And then I sit there and say, well, what if I did this every day? Oh, wow, that would be cool. Chick-fil-A, everybody likes Chick-fil-A, right? Yeah, mm-hmm, mm. I love it, but I don't like the calories. Chick-fil-A, when they came out, the average fast food restaurant makes a million dollars a day. When Chick-fil-A came out, they said, on the busiest day, the most profitable day for fast food restaurants are on Sunday. We're gonna give that day off. Everybody in the industry said they were crazy. You know how much Chick-fil-A makes every every day? Five million a day. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Hallelujah. Because that's the number one argument to why people can't spend, I, I just, I don't have time. I don't have time. No, it's we don't make time. I will guarantee you this. If you will prioritize the Lord in your life, 
You give him the first fruits of your day, you give him the middle of your day, and you give him the end of the day, he will, he will make you 10 times more productive than you've ever been in your life. Guaranteed. Amen? Our ministry, in the last 10 years, we've seen over 300,000 people make decisions for Jesus Christ. We don't have a big staff. We don't, we're mostly volunteers. There's me and one other guy who are full-time and three other employees. But we make a big impact because we put him first in everything that we do. He will, he'll supersize you. <laughs> he'll supersize anything you do.